Welcome uh, to Church in the Valley. My name is Alex Barrett, and I am the, the campus pastor here. And we are really glad that you joined us uh, for our, our worship service here this morning. And we are in the middle of a series on identity. And in this series, we've been talking about how identity is who we are at our core and how having the right view of our identity and the right definition of who we are at our core actually determines a lot of things in life. Uh, for instance, how we see ourselves determines uh, the direction that we head, how we see ourselves determines the decisions that we make and really impacts our life. It has this, this ripple effect on kind of every arena that we experience. And so there's so much to be said about actually having the right view of who we are at the core of us, uh, not what people tell us, whether it's people close to us, not what the culture tells us, but actually what is it? And in this series, we've been looking at what the Bible says and specifically how God views us and how our relationship with him actually allows us to tap into our true identity. Because if we align ourselves with the one who made us, uh, the Christian viewpoint and worldview is, is that we are made by God. And when we align ourselves with God and we look to him for our identity, we actually become who we are meant to be. And when that happens, we can experience life to its full. And so if you've missed any of this series, you can always listen online at churchinthevalley.com. You can podcast with us as well, Church in the Valley Alhambra, and you can subscribe it and catch up. But I want to just kind of take the time to talk and kind of shift gears somewhat because we've been talking about identity from a personal standpoint. And identity, of course, is personal because if it's who we are at our core, then that's the core of us. Today, I want to shift gears and talk about how who we are at our core, though is personal, is actually much broader than that. And so today I want to shift gears and talk when you become a Christian, and you decide to follow Jesus. What happens to you, not only personally in who you are and who God wants you to become and the direction that you can set. But what does that mean for your reference point in life? What does that mean that you are a part of? And what I think is when you line yourselves with God in his ways and he begins to define who you are and you look to him for this, you actually realize that you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And to me, that is crucial in my life because I want to spend my life realizing that I've not missed out on God's best for me. And also, I want to make a maximum impact so I can be a part of something bigger than myself and that I really want to discover what that is. And so I hope that this will kind of help you just get a broader vision of what that looks like. But for that to happen, we all need to make a shift. And I believe that it's easy for all of us to get caught in an individualistic approach to life. Me and myself by myself. And we tend to make decisions in a vacuum. We tend to set direction for our life by ourselves based on what we think we need to do. But our identity is so much bigger than just who we are as an individual. It's actually much more than just being self-defined. We need input from the outside looking in. And that begins with a relationship with the Lord Jesus. So over the course of the series, we've been talking about how do you do that? How do you come to the place where you decide that you don't have everything within yourself to tap into your identity? That you actually need input from the outside. When you get to that point, that's where you can begin to take steps toward following God. So today I want to talk about once you get to that point where you decide to follow Jesus and he becomes the person that you give your life to, what does that mean 
for, again, your trajectory and, and what you're a part of. And so the shift that we have to make is it's more than just me. It's more than just me defining who I am and what I want to become. Recently, I experienced kind of this individualistic focus that I have in my own right. How many of you guys like to play like board games? Any of you guys like to play board games? Okay. I experienced uh, a few weeks ago a co-op board game. Have you guys ever played a co-op board game? Raise your hand if you have. Okay. A few of you. A co-op board game is where you're actually not trying to beat the people that you're playing with. You're trying to work together to beat the game itself. Now, I've played video games before, and it's like the computer. But a co-op game is different because it's like I'm playing just that board that's just lying on the table. Like, how is that going to beat me? And so at the beginning, I was thinking, like, how, how, okay, how, how, do I, how do I win? And the guys that I was playing with were talking about what's well, a co-op game. We, on each of our turns, we talk about what we want to do, and we work together to do it. And I'm thinking, well... Can't we just say we beat the game and it's over? Right? What, what's the board going to do? doesn't know. But the game I played is Pandemic. You guys ever played this? It's, oh, what, whoa. We've got some co-op family here. Okay. So don't ask me how, how we're, I don't really, I still don't know. I'm still trying to win myself. You know what I mean? But in this game, you are battling deadly viruses that are trying to overtake the world. And you do that by you and your team playing your specific roles and skills and on your turn, kind of pushing back the viruses on the major continents of the entire world. And it, it's fascinating. But it took me a whole round just to think like, like what I just tell you guys what I think I should do. And you tell me what you think I should do. And it was weird. I, I, I co-op game. I'd never experienced it before. What I realized is my whole life, I thought a game was I need to win. There's no we. Maybe there's a partner I play with, but it's still us against them. But I'm looking at this and we were all on the same team. And, and as I kind of caught this, I didn't catch it because we beat the virus on the second time. But as I kind of got familiar with it, that was terrible. But as we got familiar with this, I, I began to realize like this is a different approach. I actually don't just have my own strategy. I don't just have my own approach and I just do what I want to do. And I, and I thought to myself, like, how long it took me to shift, that's, that's kind of how it is with life. And when we think about who we are and direction and our identity, so many times it's individualistic. It's whatever we want. We're self-defined, self-sufficient, self-sustaining. And we think that as long as I can define myself according to what makes sense to me, as long as it makes me happy, I'm going to have success in life. What you find is, is that's like playing a co-op game as an individual. It actually doesn't work. Life is meant to be lived, not as an individual with your own direction, independent from anyone else. Life's actually meant to be lived in such a broader context. It begins with a relationship with the Lord Jesus himself. And then once that relationship happens, God gives you actually a new purpose for your life. And it becomes so much more than a tunnel of what I want. It now becomes what can we do to change the world? And that's what I want to talk about today. There's two major things that happen in your identity when you choose to, to follow Jesus. First is, is that he builds us into something else. We're built together into something. That's what I'm going to talk about first, what we are built together to do. And the second is, what, once we're built together into something, what does that mean that we actually build? What happens as God brings his followers together? What is it that they can accomplish 
in the world. So I hope if you are a Christ follower today, this will give you a sense of what you need to keep making your life about. If you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're trying to figure out this Christianity thing and God's role in your life, plus your own role and trying to figure out where you're supposed to head. I hope this gives you a little bit broader context of what God wants to do. He's inviting you be in a relationship with me and be a part of this. So I hope this will give you a little bit more of a context into that. Over the course of this series, we've been working through the book of first Peter and first Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He walked where Jesus walked. He did what Jesus did and he saw Jesus's life. And so for defining what a Christ follower is, Peter knows he's a first hand eyewitness. He's seen it. And so in the book of first Peter, he spends so much time speaking about the life of a Christian because he wants all the Christ followers to know those who decide to follow Christ. What does it look like? What does it mean? How does it kind of translate into an actual daily life? So for the last three, four weeks, we've been talking and working through each kind of part of first Peter today. We're starting the second chapter. And in the second chapter, he defines what is it that happens as he builds this team together as Christians, what's being built. And so I, I want to define that now in the first three verses of chapter two, he defines spiritual maturity and he talks about these are the things that you need to watch out for. And if you watch out for these, then, then you're actually on the track to pleasing God. And so he's like, you know, he's kind of encouraging grow, grow in him, keep your eyes on him. And then in verse four, which I'm going to talk about today, he, he defines this is what God wants to do as you focus on him, as you make him the main thing in your life. This is what can happen. And so if you have your handout, you can follow along. You can take notes. You can also just look up here on the screen. I want to read this and then I'm going to kind of talk about it a little bit. So what does it mean to be built together? This is what Peter describes. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So I want to talk a little bit about the nuances of each of this. The first part is the, the, the emphasis on as you come to him, a Christian is defined by somebody who comes to Jesus Christ. And th- this coming to him is this first and foremost, a decision to follow him. A Christian who's somebody who has like surrendered their life and decided that their life is now not just about what they want. Their life is actually about pleasing God. So his priorities, the things that are important to him to the person who comes to him, they're now important to that person. So we, we adopt what, what he's about. That's what a Christian does. But this is also a reference, not just to that one time becoming a Christian, a decision that you make, which is a decision that you have to make. It's also a continual process of daily. You decide that when you wake up, you're going to surrender as well. You surrender the first time like, God, I don't want to go my own way. I want to switch roads. I want to, what the Bible calls, repent and turn to go your way. And every day I'm going to decide to do that. Like when you get married, you get married and you say, I do. Right. But every day you have to decide to love your spouse. You're saying I do every day thereafter. It's the same when you, when you follow God, you, you come to him initially. And then every day you choose, you're going to wake up. I am going to surrender my own purposes and agenda. And I'm going to adopt yours. So that's the first emphasis. This, the Christian to know your identity is there's never a part in which your life where you no longer come to Christ. You continually do that. You need to spend time in his word. You need to spend time praying each day. You choose my identity is in you. And so I'm going to come to you so you can continue to tell me who I am. Very different approach to life. 
There's a reference point now outside of yourself. And the second emphasis is described as you're coming to him a living stone. Now, the stone is referring to Jesus. In other parts of the scripture, he's talked about the, the cornerstone. But here it's the living stone. It's this premise of this idea that you build your life on a new foundation. So as you come to him, every day you're choosing, I'm going to build on your foundation based on what is right, based on what is pleasing to you. The living stone. And the, the idea of the living stone is Peter's always been talking about our identity is rooted not in who we are, but in the fact that Jesus Christ came to bring us back to God. Although we've sinned and our sin has caused us to be cut off from God, Christ came so we can get reconnected to him. This is the gospel, the good news of the scriptures. Although we were sinners, Jesus Christ came to bring us back. So when we connect and we come to him, we're building our life on the living stone. And the reason it's living is because Jesus Christ came and he was rejected by man. That's what Peter's saying. He's rejected. He, they didn't see him as the savior of the world. They didn't see him as the Messiah. They didn't see him as the son of God. They rejected him. And in their rejection, they falsely persecuted him or falsely accused him. Sorry. And then they crucified him. But he did not stay dead. He rose again on the third day. And so Peter's just reminder, this stone is alive. Now, this metaphor is a little bit lost on me because how many of you have seen a living stone? You may watch like Stranger Things, but that doesn't even have living stones, right? You may have seen moss and there's things maybe growing, but we've never seen a, a living stone. So it can get lost on us. But what he's saying is, is the Christian life there's something that's being built and it's not being built with bricks or stone. It's being built with lives and people coming together. And when you're a Christian, you are connected to the living stone directly. And now you have a new foundation to build your life on. There's a blueprint now. And God is going to build something in your life that you cannot build unless you're connected to the living stone of Jesus Christ. So you come to him. And you come to the living stone. Now, there actually has been structures built with people. Did you guys know that? Google. I found that out. There's actually a competition of people where you get a team together. This is another co-op game, but the stakes are a little bit higher. Okay. You build a structure of people and they can get this up to 10 stories high. So after this service, we are going to do this together. <laughs> and we're going to organize you based on whether you should be on the top or bottom. And we're going to see how this goes. If this is your first time here. This is not a joke. <laughs> it, it is. It is a joke. Don't, everyone's like, those doors, leave those doors open. But... This competition is great. And it's it, it, like you have all these people and, you know, look at these crowds and there's some at the bottom right here. And they're like, like this guy's like, I don't know if I'm doing anything, but I'm just going to stand here holding on to this person. But when you're a person on the top, you're thinking, just please, yes, do that. And the, the definition is, is kind of humorous because it's like the object is to build the structure and then unbuild it without anybody falling. And you think, well, that, that makes complete sense. But if you're the person on the top, that distinction, you really want to make sure that we can unbuild this without anybody falling. And there's actually pictures of people like in the air as it's falling, 
It's like the ultimate crowd surfing, right? Just hoping that people please hold on. But the reason I show this is, again, this, this is what Peter is describing, but it's not a competition. He's saying that God wants to build something out of all of his followers that will point people to who God is. And it talks about the spiritual house. You come to him, the living stone, and he puts you together to build a spiritual house. Another word for that would be like a temple where you come and you see God. But it's not in a place. It's in the lives of all who form together, who follow Jesus. It's this living spiritual house bound together by all those who follow him. And so when you become a Christian, it's not just about you and Jesus. It's very personal and it is about you and Jesus. But then you realize that I come into God's family and now I'm a part of something brand new. And I have new brothers and new sisters and my family just expanded exponentially. I became a Christian when I was seven years old. And I remember uh, at the church I was a part of, at the end of every service, we would sing this song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And you know what we would do? We would join hands with everyone. I'm, I just got all sorts of ideas, you know. And this day is like, well, I got to touch people. No, I'm not going to make you do that. But the sense after every service, we would sing this song that we're a part of the family of God and we would hold hands. And this church was a big church. It was in, you know, kind of the Midwest and huge church and just people all around holding hands, singing this song. I was looking around. I was like, that, I'm a part of something bigger. And it had a profound impact on me. And that's what Peter's saying is, is we're joining together to build a place that people can see whether God is real. He does that through his people. So that's what he's wanting to, to bind together and build together is this, this group of people where people can see there's something, there, there's something living here. And I love that the emphasis on the stone because when we think of stone, it's dead, it's innate, it, it has no life to it. And I think that's just this reference to the life that we have outside of a relationship with Jesus. So many people, that's what they experience. It's dead. Their life is dead. There's no hope. There's no peace. There's no direction. And they're left with just this life that doesn't do anything. What Peter is saying is when you come to him, the living stone, you turn your life over to him and you build on a new foundation. What was once dead is now alive. And it's alive because of what Jesus has done. So this is very, very crucial for how we define ourselves because it actually gives us a hope not connected to our own merit. And if you've messed up, and you look back on things that you regret, regret, and you look ahead to your future and you're like, I don't know where I'm headed. This should give you great, great hope. God wants to build something new in you, connecting you to a new family. And then he continues in verse 10 and he emphasizes the same idea. And it says this, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How does that happen? Well, you come to him, the living stone. You build your life on a new foundation. Not by yourself, defined by yourself. But surrender to God and he will define your life. And now you're a part of a spiritual family. 
You were in darkness. You didn't have mercy. You didn't have hope. But now you've received it. So Peter, in a way, is, is inviting the Christians reading this. Remember who you are. And remember what God wants to build through us. Because it's not just inward focused. Again, a spiritual house is the place where people can come and see that God is real. And I, I want to shift gears and, and talk about that specifically. Once God has built this together through those who follow Christ, you see this. This is what the local church is. It's supposed to be this spiritual house. Lives of people binding together to do what God wants. Once that happens, then we can actually build something different. And this is what Peter kind of turns the corner. So once the spiritual house is built together through these living stones joined, what, what is it that he wants to do? And so Peter now gives even more metaphors and pictures so we can get the sense of something different that we're a part of. And so I want to shift gears and talk about what, what are we able to be built together towards? What, what is it that he wants to do with this spiritual house? And so I want to talk about that. Uh, he goes on in first Peter and he describes that, that we are now a new people with a new purpose. This is key to identity, right? New identity leads to a new person. And it's the same as you become a Christian, you get a new identity and you become a new person, but it shifts not just from a person. Now it's a people. What Peter's saying is we are now a new people with a new purpose. And then he he defines that. Uh, Who we are determines what we do. We've been talking about that a lot, too. That's identity. Who we are determines what we do. And so Peter talks about that further uh, in the passage on 1 Peter. If you could put that up there on the screen. So you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That's what he's described. You come to him, the living stone. This is what he builds, a spiritual house. Then he defines it to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And again, there's some more emphasis here. So he's described this spiritual house or this temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple were where the priests were. So what Peter is saying is you're being built into this new spiritual house as you decide to follow Christ. And your only reference for a priest is somebody that was in the temple. But now when you decide to follow Christ, you become a priest. And what that means practically is that in the Old Testament and in church history, priests are the kind of the mediator between God and the people. When you become a Christian, you now become a priest. And what that means is you have access directly to God. And that should shift your identity. If you can have direct access to God and he can lead you, then you're not alone. If you can have direct access to God and he can hear your prayers. And you can receive forgiveness and you can receive mercy. You have a new stake at life. Because in the past, you had to go to somebody and they would step in on your behalf. What Peter is saying is in the spiritual house. As a Christian, you are now a priest. There's no mediator. You can go directly to Jesus himself. And so our identity is foundational on that premise that 
we are a new people and now we have new access that we did not have. He hears us. He leads us. He directs us. He watches over us. God is not distant. He's not absent. He's not apathetic. He is here and present. And we are now a holy priesthood. There's a confidence there that we can turn to God and and he hears us. Now, priests in the Old Testament would offer sacrifices because, let's face it, we mess up a lot, right? Every day we make choices and we make decisions that don't please God. They hurt people. And so priests would always be making these sacrifices like, okay, God, we, we have messed up as a people. This sacrifice is to pay the penalty of sin. And when Jesus came, he paid the penalty once and for all. And so the sacrifice shifted. We no longer have to make sacrifices for our sin because Jesus did that. He laid down his life, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all to pay the penalty. But now as priests, we make sacrifices. But these sacrifices are things that we do that actually show the world who Jesus is. Kind of this idea, if you've discovered that you have direct access to God and you've discovered that you now have a new foundation to build your life and you have received mercy even though you hadn't, don't you want to tell people about that? So Peter is saying is, this is the best kind of news. And so these sacrifices are supposed to give people the sense of that there is something, again, of life to these people who follow Christ. So throughout the scriptures, you find some of these, these sacrifices. And in the book of Romans, as a Christ follower, we're told to be a living sacrifice. Our life is supposed to point toward a people that build their life on a new foundation. And so here are some of the sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Uh, we don't have to pay for our sin anymore, but a sacrifice we can do is praise and thanksgiving. Now, for some of you, that may not feel like a sacrifice. You love to sing. You sing every day. For others of you, if you could come after the singing is over at church, like, where's that church? But as you know, we actually sing on purpose. It's not just supposed to be a thing like, why do all churches do that? Well, we're supposed to praise and magnify the Lord together. That's a command. And there's something to be said about people coming together. And as we sing the song, everything, you are everything in, in my hurting and my wanting, you are everything. It's a reminder where people who come to him, attaching ourselves to the living stone. And this creates a sweet aroma, a group of people that actually admit they need help. So praise and thanksgiving, that's an acceptable sacrifice. Another one is, is mercy. And this is tied to what Peter was saying. We were people that didn't receive mercy. We were condemned by our own sin. But because of Jesus, we now have it. And so the sacrifice is we extend that mercy to other people. Recently, we had our, our advance meeting this past uh, Tuesday night talking about how, how do, as men, do we advance over anger in our life? And as guys, sometimes we can all can seem fine and then a volcano erupts. And we can just let people have it. Men tend to struggle with anger. And so we talked about that. But one of the practical challenges we gave to people is to deal with your anger. Drive in the slow lane for two weeks. Who comes up with this stuff? 
that like seems to me the reverse. Like, you want to see me angry? Put me in the slow lane, right? But the idea is when you're in the slow lane, you're kind of relinquishing your control of the freeway. In Southern California, we all want control of the freeway, right? Isn't that the problem? It'd all be great if you weren't in my way. If you weren't going the same direction as me, this wouldn't be a problem. But when you're in the slow lane, this is kind of a practical step of mercy. It's, I'll let you have that lane. And in life, there's all sorts of lanes that we let people have, and it's mercy. Like, I could let you have it because you did something, but I'm going to give you the right away. I'm going I'm to let you move forward. I could come against you for something that you've done, something that you've said. But you know what? God didn't do that to me. So practically, I really want to make you pay for what you just did. But I'm not. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let it just roll off. That's what it means to offer a sacrifice of mercy. Another type is justice, kindness, and humility. Justice. God's people are supposed to be just. That, that means we, we want to do what's right before people and before God. So what's right and what's the truth and what's pleasing is, is very important. But we really want to pay attention to how it impacts those around us. We don't want to act unjustly towards people. That doesn't please God. And then kindness is we, we help people with their goals. So this is what Peter is saying is your identity changes and you're being built together in this group of living stones of priests that offer these sacrifices. But the sacrifice is a sacrifice of kindness. We have a group of people that are willing to put the goals and interests of others above their own. They're willing to kind of sacrifice their own desire in the moment to let somebody else get what they want. Isn't that the kind of friend that you want? They look out for you. This is what Peter's saying. This is what a Christian's supposed to be. You're just, you're kind, and then you're, you're humble. You, you think as others as better than yourself. So at the very core, all of this impacts our relationships. So as priests, we're supposed to offer these kinds of sacrifices. And it goes on in Scripture. Another one is financial gifts for the ministry. The people of God are supposed to fund the work of God because we want to see more people built into this spiritual house. So we take responsibility for that. We also want to do good and we want to share with others. We look for opportunities to serve, even at our own convenience. That shows up on our calendar and how we build our life. We don't just think, what is it that I have on my plate? But what are the things I need to be available towards that impact all those around me? What do they have going on in their life? And how can I help them with that? This is the spiritual house that God wants to build. And it's these priests that offer these sacrifices. And then he goes on in verses 9 and 10 and he describes some more pictures of this family that, that God puts together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, mo- that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm going to move through here quickly, but again, it's a picture of who we are. You are not an individual cut off. You are now connected as a chosen race. What that is, is you're, you're the family of God. You're his son and you're his daughter. And that defines you more than any other race that we're a part of. It's the spiritual family. It supersedes all others. Now, we don't forget our identity and where we come from and who we're a part of, but, but it's bigger than that. This spiritual, it, it transcends that. We're a chosen race 
And we're a royal priesthood. We're not just a priesthood, but we're, we're royal. Then we represent a king. Because we represent a king, we represent a kingdom. And then a people for his own possession. The idea there is, is since God sent his son to reconnect us, the only way we have a relationship with him is because of what God did. And so there's this belonging to God that we see it's, it's from his initiative. And that's at the core of who we are. And then the last part, it kind of builds like all of these things, these privileges, this new identity. You see the purpose. Who we are defines what we do. So for a royal, royal priesthood, for a chosen race, a holy nation, a spiritual house, living stones, priests that offer sacrifices. What is that for? And that's what Peter says right at the end. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's this proclamation of we are a new person connected to a new people. And we do this because of the excellencies of God himself. It goes back to him. His love, his grace, his mercy. That becomes the focus. We want to proclaim his excellencies. We want to tell people the fact that we were in darkness all alone, cannot move forward. And now we have direction. Now we have identity. Now we have purpose. There's something that we can show for our life that will make a difference in the world. This past week, Billy Graham died. And I spent some time just hearing about his life. And one of the things that I didn't realize is that one of kind of his big starts actually happened in Los Angeles. His first major crusade was in 1949 on the corner of Washington and Hill in downtown L.A. There's a picture there. This was kind of the marketing back in the day. You just printed a flyer and you handed it out. And they handed out this to thousands of people. It was supposed to be three weeks long, but because of the interest and because people kept coming and they were hearing Billy Graham and their team share about the excellencies of God, it went from three weeks to eight weeks. Many people came to know Christ. They experienced this new identity. Now, if you look at this picture here, it's, this one's marketing the sixth great sin-smashing week. Could you imagine a church marketing that way today? I love that. We want you to come to Easter. It is going to be a sin-smashing event. But they're just calling it what it is. Like, we're going to proclaim that sin will get smashed and you can experience the mercy of God. And there's a, there's a tent that they had. They called this, the, if you go to the next slide there, the Canvas Cathedral. This happened right in our neighborhood. But the focus of this was actually not about Billy Graham. There were churches that met for months before this praying for revival in the city in 1949. Church after church after church coming together to pray that God would work in the darkness. And the teams of people that passed out flyers, passed out flyers, passed out flyers, thousands of them. And two months before the rally ever happened, prayer that was happening like every hour of the day around the clock, people were praying. 
for revival in the city. And for eight weeks when it happened, people were hearing about the excellencies of God. Now here we look at this, and this is how we think church. It's just put together a building when you meet in a building. But this was not what it was about. And that's not what it's about today. It's not about the event when we gather. It's about the lives of people that proclaim the excellencies of God. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, your role is to live in the identity that God's given you on the foundation of Jesus. But that's always to serve the purpose of proclaiming his excellencies to those who are still in the darkness. They long for light to enter their world, and it happens through those who found their new identity. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I encourage you, consider this. Consider that Jesus Christ wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new family that you can be a part of. He wants to expand the reach of your impact. And he wants to do that through giving you mercy. So if you're interested in learning what it means to become a follower of Jesus or what it means to become a Christian, uh, if you mark on the right-hand box on the back of your connection card to send you info about beginning a relationship with Jesus, we, we would love to do that and to meet with you so you can make that decision. I want to wrap up by encouraging you to take some next steps this morning. As Jeremy had you uh, fill out that connection card, if you haven't yet finished filling that out, go ahead and do that on the front side. And on the back side, there's some next steps that you can take. And... I want to just encourage you, one of the things, this doesn't show up on there, but one of the big reasons we make a big deal of Easter is is we want to use the the spiritual curiosity people have to learn more about Jesus Christ. And so there's lots of opportunity coming up this spring, but Easter is one of them. And so begin to think through who are some people that you can invite so that they can begin to hear about the excellencies of God. Okay, so that, that's kind of off the, the card there, but that's just one to, to think about. Uh, actually, it is on there. Sorry. But the first one is circle the sacrifice uh, that I can make this week. One of those sacrifices for praise, if it's just in your world with a relationship, you think, you know, I just need to really extend kindness to those around me, my kids, my spouse, my roommates, whoever it is that you're, you're dealing with. Maybe it's that. Whatever it is, choose one of those sacrifices and decide to do that this, this week. And then the second, which I just mentioned, is consider who you can invite uh, to Easter. And we have those flyers uh, as the means to do that. And if people just, they don't like cards to hold on to, you can always share events through our, through our website. So begin to think through that, pray through that, who God may want you to, to invite. Let's pray together and, and really ask God to, to make this happen through our life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the new identity that you give us. The foundation built on the living stone of Jesus Christ and the opportunity that we have to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. God, I ask that you will allow us, if we follow you, to work towards being the spiritual house that allows our lives and as we connect to those around us as the church that allows people to experience God is real, that they can see it in us. And God, for anyone that that hasn't yet decided to follow you, God, will you draw their heart to the point where they realize they need a new identity in you? So we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
I want to just do something a little bit differently uh, before we sing and receive our offering, which we're going to do in just a moment. I wanted to invite uh, Neil and Melinda Walker up this morning. And so if you guys could come up here, they're not in trouble. Why don't you guys come up here? Stand right here. We'll move away from mics. This is uh, Neil and Melinda Walker. If, if you have not yet met them, I encourage you to do that. They will be an encouragement uh, to your life. But yesterday, uh, they celebrated 30 years at Christian Challenge, which is a ministry that they started at the University of Southern California. And Neil started that ministry really with the intent of how can they go onto a campus and actually do what we've talked about this morning. How can they help people that are in darkness come to the light? And when I think of, of Neil and Melinda, I think of a group of people, a couple specifically, that have given their lives to living their identity in Christ and sharing of how others can do that and experience being a part of, of the new family. And so uh, the reason I, I wanted to bring them up is I wanted to, to honor you guys for the life that, that you guys live. Uh, you guys make sacrifice after sacrifice for people. And as Peter describes this, this is how I see you guys. And I, I appreciate they've been a part of Church in the Valley really right from the beginning. And they played a key role in not only doing their ministry at the University of Southern California, but helping students get connected uh, to Church in the Valley all through those years. And before this campus existed, they took that trek past the 605 freeway to the land there is living, you know. Uh, in Diamond Bar, and for many years, for 25 years, they, they did that. And for the last five years, they've been an integral part of helping us get this church here. And in fact, many of the people here at Church in the Valley Alhambra and the leaders that we have uh, come out of, of Neil and Melinda's ministry. And so we're, we're indebted to you guys as a church. And yesterday, as, as we were able to celebrate, um, it was very clear of, of God's faithfulness. But I, I just wanted to express my appreciation before the church for the way that you guys have set the pace to love people, the way that you have set the pace to uh, pursue God. And because of that, you have blessed so many people in this room and you have blessed so many throughout the world. And so I, I love you guys. I thank you so much for your partnership and all that you've done to really make Church in the Valley what it is. So I'd, I'd like to pray for you guys. For another 30 years. <laughs> Start praying. Let's, let, let's pray. God, thank you so much for Neil and Melinda. And we just celebrate uh, the last 30 years because of your faithfulness and your hand that has led them. God, you are the one that draws people to yourself. You are the one that gives mercy when there is none and you give light in the middle of darkness. And thank you for using Neil and Melinda in mighty ways. And even in their life, the way that they live, they are always pointing it towards you. So I pray just a prayer of blessing upon them. I pray that you'll continue to give them your direction and guidance and your power as they seek to continue to help students and all of, they, all of those they encounter to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for the example they set. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's give them a hand.
Thank you, guys. We're going to go ahead and, and sing a song of praise back to God, and we're going to receive our offering.